Hello and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And my name is Dr. Peter Musset. That's not true. You're a father. I am a father. You could be both in, in technically. You could be Dr. Father. It would be the most reverend uh, most reverend doctor, I think, is the, how the title uh, ecclesially works. Reverend doctor, because I'm not Oh, how do you reverend. make most? Is that a Monsignor? Monsignor one? Most, uh, yeah, very is like a vicar for rain. Most is like um. You say uh, a vicar general. for rain? Vicar for rain, which is a... Like somebody who does a dance when there's a drought? It's a deanery representative. We need the vicar for rain. There's a drought in oh. Tanzania. Is that not? What are you actually saying? <laughs> I'm not trying to be silly. What are you saying? Vicar for rain? For rain. F-O-R-A-I-N-E. For rain. Ah, got it. That is a dean of a deanery. I see. So, so if you're Father a dean Michael of a dean- would be very... Yeah, he's vicar VF. Very vicar. Yep, vicar for rain. This is ridiculous. Um, you're you, ridiculous. No, <laughs> We're just getting. This is ecclesiology. This is no, ecclesiology is not ridiculous. Ecclesi- Don't no, make a judgment. You're, oh man, you are ornery right now. <laughs> you're in an ornery mood. It is an ornery day in the church. It is the twentieth Sunday. Is that right? Twentieth Sunday. Twentieth. I think. I think it's the twentieth. Let me pull what up the it? readings because we're doing a podcast on them. Twentieth Sunday. Twentieth Sunday. Yeah, I accidentally. Right. S- yeah. Studied last week's. No. <laughs> were you like? This all sounds so every, familiar. Every once in a while, when I'll say a Sunday mass, I'll I'll like give the homily get the, from the previous week. No, get the the um uh the collects wrong, and I'll do it from the wrong week, and I confuse God. <laughs> He's like, dude, I thought it was a, I thought it was the nineteenth week, man. Why are you doing eighteenth? Oh man, God, there's got to be a psalm that relates to that. You exhaust <laughs> me with your foolishness. <laughs> sounds like the latter psalms. Ah, uh, mm. dude. Well, Speaking of psalm, did you know the psalm is the same this week as it was last week? No. It's the same exact psalm, which actually led me into deeper reflection on it, thinking, Dude. huh, it's the same. Man, well, I- uh, Different sal- verses. Yeah. That's salty. Wait a second. Is it different verses? No. It's not <laughs> even different verses. Pretty much the same. So no. there's something to that. Let's talk about that later. Okay. Don't you think there's something to that? The church yeah. is like, hmm. Listen to it again. You missed it the first time. Dude, I have to tell you, you guys, all you lanky guys listeners that- Both um, of you. Uh, both, dude, all 35,000 of you. And- <laughs> My mom and the, the other 34,999 people. And that other guy people. in Seattle. Um, I'm just saying that like, you guys are awesome. I yeah. think that um, some folks came to me last night and they like uh, they were went up to St. Malo and uh, they accidentally ran into uh, uh, Cardinal Stafford. Who then read the Saint mo- Malo? Yeah, who who like gave them a holy card of what? a poem about Our Lady, and then they were like, "Would you read us the the poem?" Whoa. And then so then they got a they got a Cardinal Stafford poetry recital at Saint Malo's, <laughs> dude. I was like, "That's the coolest ever!" So wow. you guys what was were he awesome. doing up there, just chilling out. Yeah, I think he's just praying. Wow. Yeah, I want to be Cardinal Stafford. No, I don't. It'd be a hard job. <laughs> It'd be a hard job to be a bishop or a cardinal today. Yeah, or so, a priest. So just to just to acknowledge you guys, we know about all the scandals and we've been seeing and and the report that came out, and it's really like honestly, I gotta say, it's so heavy on my heart, and it's never okay. It's hard to function. I've read part of the grand jury report, and it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, and and so my my heart is just is just aching, mm-hmm. and um, it just you know we can't let this happen in the church. And uh, so I, I'm hoping that this uh, this kind of horror, the horrors that we're encountering in the midst of this, uh, will be a, a further motivation to to really um, eradicate this. I will make the prediction that I've made before that I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, 
So yeah, I think so too. Prepare us. We should prepare ourselves. Which, uh, in a certain sense, is is applicable. I, I actually, I think it's particularly applicable to the psalm, and I'll tell you why when we get there. Yeah, and uh, you know, um, Archbishop Aquila has asked us in the Archdiocese of Denver to do days of reparation and once a month have a have a mass of reparation. Mm. And do public acts of penance as priests, yeah. public acts, not private right. acts. And right. I'm like, so so it's like you know what we we really have to do something like that. Yeah. And and so it's just kind of so we start on a somber note. I think um, all of their public act of penance is listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that counts. <laughs> That's messed Sorry. up. Too. <laughs> I, mean, I needed to let, bring some brevity. Yeah, okay. levity, not brevity. Brevity. Believe me, there's no brevity. <laughs> no brevity at this podcast. A little levity. Our first reading is from Proverbs yeah. nine one to six. Okay. Our responsorial psalm is the same you, psalm as last you week. You may remember from such psalms as last week. <laughs> it's psalm thirty four verses two through three, four through five, and six through seven. Are you serious? It's just the same? Yeah, dude. Dude, I'm going to look at that. I'm there gonna... might be a couple of verses that are included. La- yeah, eight, we had eight and nine as well last week. So it's a little, speaking of brevity, it's a little brevityed. Brevityed. Okay. And then our second reading is from Ephesians 5, 15 to 20. Which is also the exact same as last week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not. Totally different. <laughs> our <laughs> gospel is coming from the gospel of John Chapter 6, verses 51 through 58, which might sound like the same because Jesus is like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm repeating this again. He does keep repeating the same things. Because well, he's like, he's like, will you not understand? Then they don't. And they don't. So we'll get there. We're still in the bread of life discourse, which I, I don't know. I mean, we make, we make that joke and it's kind of funny. What but joke? We're, they they don't understand. What boneheads? Ha ha! Look at the, all the fools, we, Jesus. I didn't make that joke. Did no, you make that joke? I was laughing in my head. I I, I <laughs> tend to have a spirit of mockery with things like that. You know what I mean? Which is failure to because what boneheads? They don't get it. He just has to repeat himself. But I mean, he's saying okay, something profoundly saying. hard. Yeah. So the fact that they don't. Well, let's talk about that when we get there. Okay. Well, the, the, let's uh, get to the proverbial first reading. Ah, oh, mashal. Do you know what mashal means in Hebrew? Um, isn't it something that you put over your shoulders if you have a... Um, my shawl. Strap? I forgot my shawl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it is the word proverb in Hebrew, which is a broad term that can, encompasses a variety of literary forms. Sorry, I'm gonna re- I was about to read a definition. Um, the word pro- <laughs> I so think you just read a definition. I read part of a definition. <laughs> the Proverbs are an interesting book. It's part of what's called the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament. Um, I, uh, there's a couple things I want to say about Proverbs, and I want to say something about this this proverb in particular, uh, the proverbs are, are basically wise sayings. So the word pro- mashal means to to be like unto or to rule. So they're things that should guide our lives. They're wise sayings, or or um, wise. That's it's almost redundant, right? Because we haven't talked about what wisdom is yet, which is the term hokma, which we have talked about this on this podcast. Right. Um, which more than you know, we think of wisdom as the sort of intellectual ent- uh, exercise, but more than anything, it's actually defined as a skill. To be wise is a skill, and, and chokmah actually means that. It's like a craftsman becomes skilled at their craft. That's oh. what wisdom is. It's something to be learned and studied and worked at and practiced and skilled at because it's not easy to, right. to have wisdom. It's not something somebody automatically has. Um, so the book of Proverbs means literally to rule or to be like unto because these are the this is God's wisdom that is meant to rule our lives or guide our lives or make us like unto him. And so these are a bunch of wise sayings that were written over the course of salvation history. We think they were probably compiled and finally brought together as one big book during the time of the exile, the Babylonian exile. Yeah. 
but they were written all throughout. They're, they're, they're often ascribed to be in the spirit or in the tradition of King Solomon. I don't think Solomon wrote all of them. But, you know, a lot of them are related to him. But what I think is interesting about the book of Proverbs, I, I kind of like, I like the book of Proverbs because scholars don't know what to do with it. And I like that because it doesn't fit within the schema of salvation history because it doesn't fit into a timeline. Um, they do fall into stories. I mean, you can find a context, but it doesn't fit this kind of neat, um, tidy, linear form. It is to understand the book of Proverbs is not just to understand the story of salvation history. It's to understand the creation as a whole. And if you think about this book of wise things that we are meant to be skilled in so that we can see reality for what it is, and they're brought together, they're written over time, they're brought together in the exile. This is the moment for Israel where everything she has and everything she was was taken away from her. And she's being forced to say, okay, what does it mean? I mean, I, I, I didn't plan on likening it to our current situation, but I mean, the Jews in the exile are trying to figure out what does it mean to be Jewish when everything that we had and we loved was taken away from us our temple and our priests and our sacrifice and the city of Jerusalem and all of this stuff is gone. And it's not the same, but I mean, there is certainly a sense of a reckoning, I think, with a lot of Catholics saying, wow, everything's kind of fallen apart and these people I trusted, maybe they're not trustworthy and everything is crumbling. What does it actually mean to be Catholic? It doesn't mm. just mean I'm going to follow that guy. I mean, unless that guy is Jesus, right? right? But it is, what is this? What do I believe at my heart? It's not just I go to this place on Sunday and I receive something and then I leave. What does it mean to be a Catholic? That's why the book of Proverbs is actually very important. And what it says in absence of all the trappings that we sort of surround ourselves that make us us, it says, no, we need to go deeper. And so the Proverbs are based on no creation itself teaches you who God is. Creation itself, not just the things of this world and the great gifts that God has given us, it's far deeper than that. It's embedded into the very structure of the world, mm. what God wants you to be. And so you can't really understand the Book of Wisdom without knowing what creation is doing. Have a proper co is. cosmology. Proper cosmology. It, it, in a certain sense, it is a cosmology. Right. So that being said, and, and I'll give an example of that just from this first lines here. Proverbs 9, and we only get the first six verses, but all of Proverbs 9 taken together is actually this um, contrasting, comparing and contrasting of wisdom and foolishness which we only get the wisdom part here, yeah. uh, but it'll go on to describe the foolish person. And so wisdom, chokmah, it, it's, a, it's a feminine uh, noun in Hebrew. And so uh, wisdom is always described in the feminine sense because that's what the word is. Um, but wisdom has built her house. And, and, and by the way, in the mind of the church, wisdom is finally embodied in its fullest sense in Jesus himself. Right. And even though it's a feminine noun, Jesus ends up really embodying what wisdom is because he is the word of God made incarnate. And so we are wise when we are skilled in knowing him. That's how we sort of read back in this. But what it begins by saying is wisdom has built her house. Wisdom built a house, a dwelling place, which is such a neat connection, even with the gospel of John, right? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, right. literally set up a house or a tabernacle among us. She has set up her seven columns. Nobody knows. Scholars don't know what exactly these seven columns are. I do. Well, I have an idea, too. What do you think there? Well, I mean, there's a couple of, I mean, whenever you look at seven, yeah. you, there's some pretty obvious kind of connective places. Sorry. My microphone is all wonky. That's, that's good. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, you have the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, seven sacraments. You have, you have things like that where you can 
see them if 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 it remains but, mysterious. But you're not reading it like a Jew. You're not reading it like a Jew in the exile. I am not. I'm reading like a Catholic, which in is Boulder. good, and that's very important, right? But and also, we got to go back a little deeper, right? So it says wisdom has built her house. What does that mean? That wisdom has built her house. Well, again, in the eyes of a Catholic, oh, wisdom hold means on. Hold God on. has become incarnate in the world. Seven pillars. If we're talking about a cosmology, now all of a sudden we have the building of the house. We have the seven days of creation. That's what I think. This so, is a subtle reference to. Yeah, because because we have you know the 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 days where we we you know. We create an, an emptiness and then fill it, yeah. you know, so, uh, over Forming three, and filling, yeah. Yeah, exactly, forming and filling. So that's interesting. So it, so it, what this is challenging us to do is saying wisdom has built her house in creation, embedded in what God has made. Ooh. And to see creation rightly is to see God's chokmah, to see wisdom, which takes some skill, right? Right. It takes some training. She has dressed her meat. She has mixed her wine. Um I'll come back to that. She has dressed her wheat, she, meat, mixed her wine. She has spread her table. She has sent out her maisons. She calls from the heights over the city. Whoever is simple, and simple there in Hebrew just means um, not morally formed, not formed yet. It doesn't mean like you're a fool or you're an idiot. Simple means I'm not formed yet. So whoever is simple, come. If you want wisdom, if you want to be skilled in chokmah, turn in here. Come to the Lord. To the one who lacks understanding, she says, come eat of my food, drink of my wine that I've mixed. Forsake foolishness that you may live. Advance in the way of understanding. So it's calling out to those of us who want to make sense of the world and say, we don't understand. We need to be taught. She says, come here and dine. There will be a sacrifice of meat. There will be wine. There will be bread. There will be a table set out for you. All of these things. But notice, it's all put in future tense. And I just, before we move on, I have to read the next part of Proverbs 9 because it's really, so So this is one view, this is wisdom, right? But then it talks about the foolish woman. Remember, this is all put in the feminine tense because Hulkma is a feminine noun. Uh, this is verse 13, which is a few verses later. It says, but a fool, on the other hand, a foolish woman is noisy, noisy. And I read that and I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. But one of the things we've been seeing in our gospel reading for the last few weeks are the Jewish people and particularly the leaders, they're quarreling, they're murmuring, they're scoffing, they're, they're noisy. noisy. The foolish woman is noisy. She is wanton. She knows no shame. She sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat in the high places of the town. This is the Jewish leaders that Jesus is calling out. The Pharisees, the scribes, right? They take their high seats in the places of the town. They call to those who pass by, who are traveling straight on their way. Whoever is simple or unknowledgeable or not wise yet or not formed yet, let them turn in here. It's the same thing Mother Wisdom says. But they're saying it, trying to trying to do the opposite. And to him who is out, without sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he doesn't know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So be careful who you listen to, because they will essentially be saying very similar things. But one will be the voice of wisdom. One will be the voice of death. And the voice of death is noisy. The voice of death puts itself in the high places. The voice of death puts itself in the seats of importance and looks down. But the wise woman spreads her table and gives you food and nourishment but, and requires a little skill to see. Which, but, but the difference is between the secret. Yes. Because this is the thing is that the, yep. the secret bread, the stolen water. Mm. That, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that it's almost, it's, yes, it's, it's sweet, but... 
yeah. how how poisonous does it become soul wise yeah. so it's it's an imitation it's it's a it's almost a synthetic version of what's actually supposed to be happening with wisdom mm. yeah it's, exactly it's an imitation of what it looks like in form yet it's it's corrupted at its core and what this is is instruction to read John 6 in a, very, in a very real sense. Ooh. This is our um, interpretation lens, right? Right. This is how we read it. Dude, and then we go into Psalm. Psalm, so taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Again, which we, again, we just read this. And even the stanzas <laughs> are the same. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will ever be on my mouth. Uh, let my soul glory in the Lord. Lo- the lowly will hear me and be glad. Glorify the Lord with me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, there's the obvious taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Well, Proverbs talks about food set out and being called to this banquet with bread and wine and an animal sacrifice. By the way, bread, wine, a sacrifice, mm. an animal, maybe a lamb sacrificed. Mm. It's very Eucharistic, right? Yes. So there's there's the very obvious, you know, there's the surface level, the obvious level, it's not surface, of taste and see. If you're wise, you're going to taste this. You're going to seek after this food. But then I was thinking about it more because that didn't seem like enough. And we talked last week a little bit about how this is one of the Psalms of David. A lot of the Psalms are of David, but there's a few of them. How many of them? There are, are, of the 73 Psalms that are linked to David's story, 13 of them are titled with incidents of his life. You remember that? So we talked about last week how Psalm 34, the title of Psalm 34 is when he feigned madness before King Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Remember that? Yes. So he was captured by that by that Philistine king. He feigned madness. He got out. He escaped only to be chased down by Saul later on and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but so I was thinking about that. I, I, so I pulled out, it's actually one of my favorite books. There's a book called Answering God. It's by Eugene Peterson. Do you know Eugene Peterson? I don't know Eugene Peterson. He wrote, you know the, uh, and this is going to sound strange, do you know the paraphrase of the Bible, the message yeah, yeah, the one that um, Bono loved. Yeah, oh, Bono loved Eugene Peterson. Yeah, yeah. They were buddies. Um, but he's, and he's probably, and I obviously don't agree with him on everything, and I'm not a huge fan of paraphrases of the Bible, but Eugene Peterson's a smart guy, and he's a holy man. He's not Catholic, but he's got some real holiness. And even the message, every now and then when I just don't understand what a scripture is trying to say, yeah, sometimes I'll be like, well, I wonder how Eugene Peterson read that and really? put it in his own language. And sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, there's some insight here. But he wrote a book uh, basically on reading the Psalms, and he has a whole section on David. And I was just I was just paging through it this morning. I just pulled it off my shelf. I was like, oh, I wonder what Peterson has to say. And he was talking about David and the Psalms of David, and how we know more about David literally than any other figure in the Bible. We have we have David's childhood, we have David's adult life, we have David's old age, we have David at prayer, we have David, you know, making bad decisions, we have David in good decisions, we have David in war, we have David in peace, we have David in as a single guy, as a married guy, in his friendships, like. We know this guy really, really well. Right. And of all these psalms that sort of are in the tradition of David, the 13 that are named, and I didn't realize this, there's 13 that say these are points in the story of David's life. Every one of them is a time of trouble. Oh. Every one of them is a time when David's in trouble. There's He's not, singing the blues. And it said, this is Peterson, he says, there's not a single royal psalm that represents the kingly office. The parts of David's life that are recalled are those in which he is struggling through the dark passages of all human beings. And Peterson makes this case that prayer tends to begin with trouble. It begins with trouble. It shouldn't stay there. Right. But prayer tends to begin out of need. I'm scared. It's dark. I need this. Help me, God. Now, we shouldn't, prayer shouldn't stay then. It should become right. praise. But 
there's something very human about it because even reading them like well prayer is not supposed to be that like we're not supposed to turn to god just when we're in need but we tend to it's yeah. just the way it kind of is and um yeah there, there's um what does he say there's plenty of praise in these psalms but it's the trouble that gets the prayers started and these psalms started which there's something to that that the psalms themselves are actually arranged in such a way that remind us of all of the trouble that David's in, that these other figures are in, and that it's okay to recognize, yeah, things are really dark and I need your help. Because we don't get a lot of the Psalms, at least the, the, the fallen salvation history of the particular time. You don't get named, you know, the Psalm when David was like, oh, I've conquered all my enemies and everything's awesome now. We don't get that. I mean, they're there and it's embedded within the Psalms, obviously. But we have named these times of darkness and trouble. And it's almost like the Psalms are giving us permission mm. To say, wow, things are hard. And so even though we have Psalm 34, which is taste and see the goodness of the Lord, and I've received salvation, and all these things are really good, it all comes out of a very dark moment mm. and a very scary time for David. And he's like, I was so confused, and I was so in danger, and I had to fake being mad, and things were really bad. But you know what? I tasted and I saw the goodness of the Lord in that. Which, again, just with our preface at the beginning of the show and just how dark times are actually getting, I don't know if there's a better place that we can term than the Psalms who remind us it's okay to acknowledge the darkness that's surrounding you. Mm. Because that's how a lot of the Psalms work. And that's why they work. And there's just such a permission in that. Mm. So I was thinking about David and I was thinking about his life and how he actually teaches us to pray. And I was comforted by that this morning. So that's what I had to say about the Psalm. Dude, that's great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, I just... Taste and see the goodness of the Lord, that, that in the midst of the darkest times, we can still actually be filled with thanksgiving for God's graces, because right. God's graces don't get canceled out by our own sin. Right. Or, or, the or sin our leaders' of sins. Right. And that's the story of the Old Testament. I mean, if there's nothing else you learn from the Old Testament, is that even when the kings and the priests and the leaders and the prophets are all horrible, God still does not abandon his people. Right. He still does not abandon his kingdom. It right. stands. Yes. Even when all the kings and all the priests are horrible. And so we have this, you know, again, going back to our, our context in life right now, we get this impression that, oh, my gosh, everything's going to crumble and burn. Well, that would have happened a hundred times over if that was the way <laughs> things were. Yes. And it hasn't yet. Nope. So there's comfort there. Anyway. Which gets us into Ephesians. Which is another dark place, right? Yeah, which is watch carefully how you live. Not as as foolish foolish persons, but as the wise, which is interesting because there's two contexts. So I think obviously Paul knows the, the wisdom literature context. He knows Proverbs. He knows Proverbs, but his audience probably doesn't, or maybe they do to some degree, but we're talking about a Greek formed Roman city, right? Which, yeah, I mean, there's some, they've obviously, if, if they're, if they're believers, then they've learned the old Testament. They've been taught in that. There's no doubt but if you remember even from the book of Romans, there's a bit of a different context in the Roman world for wise and foolish. Remember Paul in Romans talks about how the, the, the Greeks demand, um, what is this? What Greeks is this? demands, Greeks wisdom, demands wisdom and the Jews demand signs. signs. But we preach Christ crucified right. because you don't actually understand real wisdom. So when he talks about don't be foolish persons, but be wise persons, what he's saying is, look, the wisdom of the world actually is foolish. If you know Romans, that's what he repeats again and again and again. Mm. And we're dealing with a city and a culture in which everybody in Ephesus, yes, it's a Greco-Roman city, which means they pride themselves on rhetoric and knowledge and wisdom because that's how the, Gre- the Greeks and the Romans worked. But they're so wise that they're actually teaching other people how to have spiritual um, 
spiritual enlightenment, so to speak, right? Because remember, Ephesus was the center of the occult in the ancient world. They were the ones who wrote the spell books and created the little idols that they sold and ambulance and everything because they were the ones saying, we are so wise, we are going to teach you. If you just pay us all your money, we'll show you how to receive spiritual enlightenment because that's how wise we are. Right. And Paul is flipping that whole worldview on its head. And then saying, no, that ain't wise. And which is also speaking to us, make most of the opportunity because really what's happened right now is that- The days are evil. The days of, make most of the opportunity because the days are evil. Every ounce of human wisdom that has ever been known or recorded is available to us. Yeah. Honestly. On the interwebs. On the interwebs. On no, but that's true. Interpersonally. I mean, this is a free podcast no. going through the riches of the of Jesus Christ. Wait, we don't get paid for this? Oh, shoot. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's been five years. I thought I was getting I, I thought I was getting a, a check at the end of this. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, nope. Anyway. Um, so don't continue in ignorance, but mm. try to understand what is the will of the Lord. Yeah. God is going to teach us directly, and he's going to continue to give us amazing, beautiful, powerful things. Yeah. And so don't get drunk on wine, in which lies debauchery. Very, you know, like the, that's, the, it's a very, I mean, there's something experiential about that. You're like, oh man, you yeah. know, I mean, how, we know, we know how that works. We know we've seen stuff. We've done stuff. Wine, debauchery. I mean, I live on the hill in Boulder. I, and, yeah. and Maybe and we was, in a particular way. We're at a university. And I was talking to my uh, catty corner neighbor and he, and he was like, oh yeah, school's starting. School's starting again. The days are evil. He's like, he's <laughs> like, the days are evil. And he the was, U-Hauls are coming and he, the days are evil. He was talking about how uh, this, you know, one of the party nights up here, somebody went and took a 40 pound table off of his, his <sighs> deck. Oh, and because his car, his keys wasn't working and his car smashed his window Tried oh to turn, gosh. tried to turn. It was four in the morning. Tried to turn his car on, and his key wasn't working. He was oh drunk gosh. out of his mind. And uh, the, some kid, not yeah, the some kid, some kid. Jeez. He's t- the neighbor was talking about this. The his, another one of our neighbors went up and said, "Hey, um, can I help you?" And he's <laughs> he's like, "Man, my car just won't turn on." He's like, um, this "I threw is... this table through it, and it still won't start." He's like, "Dude, this is my car." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and uh, and the cops couldn't <laughs> cops couldn't car- charge him uh, drunk driving because he didn't have the keys and the car wasn't on. <laughs> And so, so it was like one of those oh things. Gosh. It was criminal mischief, but we, he just—we were just exchanging stories back and forth of just <laughs> right. like, don't things get go, don't get drunk on wine or for loco, no. um, in which lies debauchery. But be filled <laughs> with the Spirit, addressing one another mm-hmm. in psalms, and yep. re- psalms, remembering that we suffer and that there's hope and that there's praise of God and that right. that the things of the Lord are sweet and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and praying to the Lord in your hearts, giving always, uh, giving thanks always. See, we can give thanks always. Yeah. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God the that's Father. That's what David teaches us. Right. And that's like, and so, so that, I don't really know how that leads in, but I yeah. know that it connects the other things that we were reading before us. Yeah, it works. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's roll with it and see yeah, what happens. Yeah, we'll roll into the gospel. Roll in. Okay. I have, I mean, you, you're the John man here, um, but I have a couple of questions and thoughts okay. about this. So Jesus is continuing on his it's not quite a discourse because there is some back and forth, right? Right. He's describing how unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not going to have life within you. And this isn't a metaphor. This is real. And they're like, well, Moses gave us bread from heaven, but what do you have? And it's all it's all a mess. So Jesus said to the crowds, and he's probably getting flustered at this point. Maybe he's not. He's holier than I. But he says, look, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And that's the first point I want to stop on. That word and the Greek phraseology of that will live forever. Whoever eats this will live forever. I think, now I could be missing something. I think there's only three times in the whole Bible that those terms show up. Really? It's twice in John, 
Two times in John, and the only other place transliterated is in Genesis chapter 3. Whoa. When the serpent tempts, what, Adam and Eve with the fruit from the tree and said, if you eat this, you'll live forever. Oh. Which is interesting because something that hangs from a tree is given as a temptation to Adam and Eve that they'll live forever if they eat it. Which is just interesting. So, I mean, there's lots of things we could connect, but I thought that was a fascinating connection. That's the only other place that this exact structure grammatically shows up. Which goes back to uh, the Disciples of the Road to Emmaus, yeah, exactly which has right. the same same structure as they took, exactly. ate, and their eyes were opened. Because yeah. um, they ate the thing that hung on a tree. And now, nobody realizes at this point that this fruit, this food, is going to hang from a tree. But that's what the psalm, uh, the proverb actually is referring to when it talks about what is, how does it actually say it? She has dressed her meat. Well, what's her meat? It, it, it's a crude meat. There's another translation that says something better than I can't remember. But it's talking about Jesus himself. How does he dress and prepare his meat? Well, by being crucified. Right. He prepares himself as the sacrifice so that we can dine on him mixed with wine. Holy cow, this is all the Eucharist. So this is all setting us up as the counterpoint for the whole problem that the scriptures began with. So that we ate something that hung in a tree that God asked us not to. Now he's asked us, begged us, to eat something that will hang in a tree, and we've said no. So we've inversed original sin. Right. That's what they're doing in John. Like, no, we don't want it. Well, he, You're he, wrong. This is the thing. is This is where we get actually back to, get back to a cosmological understanding, which is... Slaughtered. Okay. Oh, sorry. The RSV says she slaughtered her, be- her animals instead mm. of she dressed her meat. So there is a slaughtering, a sacrifice. Sorry, right. I just I thought that was right. Well, th- this goes back all to the the kind of natural ideas. Like, what what does it mean? You're having so many microphones. You problems gave him the today. bad mic today. No, I didn't give you nothing. No, I took it. Yeah. Um. So okay, Kay. we're talking about I am the true bread that came yes. down from heaven. Okay, we start and we say that everything ultimately expresses itself in bread. True. Which is an image of the whole divine life. What there are three parts to a wheat berry. Okay. Okay. So we have the uh, the bran, which is the outer shell. Wheat berry sounds like a a, a half cocked '90s Christian rock band. <laughs> Did you guys go into the wheat berry concert? Wheat berry. Dude. Okay, sorry. Or a mega church. Mega church that meets in a Costco. Wheat berry. You guys going to wheat berry this Sunday? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm fascinated by wheat berry. So wheat berry. So you have the bran, which is the outside. Okay. You have the endosperm, which is the. I know it sounds bad. I didn't say anything. Whatever. And so it's it's the flour. It's the powdery stuff in the center. Okay. Then you have the wheat germ in the center of okay. that. So a wheat berry consists of three parts. Interesting. That then is ground. You add water. And then you've put into fire. Oh my! So you have the you have the divine life given in the sacraments of initiation of oh water my. and and then confirmation in fire. Oh my! Brought to get back together into the the substance of the Eucharist. Well, now so so what's interesting is that we have this. This is this, but but where does the wheat berry come from? It comes from wheat, which grows from the ground. Yeah. So this fruit that hung on a tree Ooh, is that. buried into the ground that oh then my. comes up and images for us not only baptism Ooh. and confirmation, but Eucharist. So it's, it's wow. fil- filled with that. We have the passion, the death, the resurrection, wow. all of this in just kind of a natural, I mean, we're talking about a cosmology. It says, okay, so yeah, we have a slaughter. Absolutely right. We have a slaughter that is is hanging on the tree, which is prepared for then this wine and uh, this bread and then this wine. Unless a berry of wheat shall fall upon the ground, 
<laughs> and have germ. Uh, yeah, no, totally. That's so, beautiful. I know, Sorry, I it, always ruin beautiful things. <laughs> really, you know, th- that is. What do I do not it's universalize your shame. Okay, All right, fair enough. You do not always ruin beautiful things. Okay, here's my question for you. Okay, I, it's just a, it's a rhetorical. Because right after this, I mean, there's a lot we could say. Right after this is in verse 54, Jesus actually changes his verb. So he's been saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and he's using the, the kind of generic eat to eat something. Right. But then he changes it to trogo in verse 54 okay. just, to, just to drive it home. He's like, unless you eat this. But then he says, no, literally unless you gnaw on it or chew it with your teeth. Trogo is a very visceral verb. It doesn't just mean to eat. Right. It means to gnaw or to chew or to rip apart like an animal would do. Right. Um, so he's like, no, I'm, I'm not. This isn't a metaphor. I'm going to keep repeating it. So I think that's interesting. But right before that, here's now I was thinking about, you know, the noisiness that we talked about in the Proverbs, the murmuring of the people last week. But here it says they quarreled among themselves. Mm. But I thought about it. And, and so at first I was like, oh, man, they're murmuring. They're quarreling. What a mess. What, what a bunch of boneheads. But then I thought to myself, wait a second. What does quarreling mean? It means Quarreled. there's disagreement. Right. So what does that mean? Are there because I sort of have this sense in my mind of like everybody's against him. Nobody understands. Everyone's confused. But quarreling seems to imply I wonder if there's people who are saying no. No, let's give this a chance. Like let's hear him out. What what is he saying? No, he can't be saying that. Well, what if he is meaning that? Quarreling just seems to imply that there's disagreement over what he's saying. Maybe some people do believe him or or at least at this point in the story like maybe we should we should uh, trust this or, or at least explore it further. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I've never noticed that before. You know, that quarreling is listed as one of the daughters of the capital sin of pride. Quarreling? Yes. Yeah, to, to Disputed is how the RSG To dispute says it. noisily with another. Because mm. so, you can be disputing Jesus. You could be disputing Jesus. I guess they could Jesus. be quarreling with Jesus. They could be quarreling with Jesus, but I think they no, quarreled amongst themselves. No, they quarreled them. among themselves. Yeah. yeah so, so this is the thing. Is but that, that tells me somebody is sympathetic to what Jesus is saying. Right? Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, yes, but you can tell that the disciples are defending him just because. Maybe. Because yeah, they're maybe. like, where else shall we go? This is a hard yeah, thing. Maybe. We don't even know how to deal with this. Yeah. And you can see it's just blowing up. He's like, I am the bread of life. And everybody's like, what? I mean, you could just yeah. imagine this kind of Middle Eastern yeah. kind of like eruption yeah, yeah, of yeah, people going true. back and forth. What are you talking about? This is it. Like people yeah. are going like, and then they're trying to work it out exteriorly. Yeah. Right. And debating and arguing it. And he's like, no, unless you eat my bread and drink drink my blood, yeah. then you have no life within you. And they're like, wow. I mean, like yeah, yeah. you could see it just ex- exploding and people mm. like he's so emphatic and repeating himself yeah. coming back to this with this profound hope to just saying like, okay, here we go. Unless you eat this. And then this is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And they're like, oh my gosh, there we are. There we are, because we're hearing, we're going back to, you, did you just reference Genesis? You know what I'm saying? Like, these yes. are, I think that maybe these are that's, educated people. Maybe that's people. what the Genesis 3.22 reference is. Yeah. It's one of those two is the same formulation. Yeah. But, but so there's two things. I mean, number one, the Genesis reference. So, right. And hopefully they're hearing this. Right. They're like, wait a second, what did you just say? I right. mean, granted, Jesus is probably speaking in Aramaic. Right. Which, you know, when John records this, he makes a conscious choice right. to word the Greek in the exact same sense that the Septuagint had Genesis. Mm. So this is John's choice, regardless yes. of how Jesus said it in Aramaic. But the other thing that, that I'm seeing here, and I don't know who has the eyes to see this, maybe some do, maybe some don't, but he's talking about living forever or dying 
again, he is making a pretty explicit reference back to the wisdom literature. Mm. Who lives forever? The people who follow chokmah, who follow wisdom, Mm. mother wisdom, lady wisdom. If you follow after true wisdom, if you learn to be skilled in this and let yourself be formed, you will live. Who dies? The foolish ones. Or not even quite the foolish ones, the people who listen to the foolish ones. Mm. Because the foolish ones are the noisy ones. They're the disputers. They're the ones who are loud and sitting above everybody. I mean, when John is talking about the quote-unquote Jews, I mean, it's known that he's talking about the leadership. Right. He's not talking about the everyday Joe and Jane Jew. He's talking about the leaders, the right. Pharisees, the, 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 the ones who are sitting on the high seats, right. looking over people who are what? Leading people to death, leading people to Sheol. If you read it in light of the Proverbs, that's what they're doing, which, you know, here we are again. God, in his great mercy, allows us sometimes to have leaders who will mislead us. Yep. And lead us astray and mm. lie and lead us to places of death. And yet God in his mercy allows that because he's not the kind of God who's just going to get fed up and step in and like zap somebody with a lightning bolt and be like, be quiet. He has enough faith in humanity and mercy with us that he will be patient with us as we try to figure this out. But once again, we're being shown, yeah, you know, there are times that God allows the leaders to mislead people. Now, there is wisdom and there is voice and what God is saying and what the scriptures are saying is, no, you have to be formed in true chokmah. And what is true chokmah? Now it's God incarnate. It's Jesus himself. You have to know Jesus. And if you do, and if you develop that craftsmanship, that skill, then hopefully you'll be able to discern the voice of those leading you to Sheol and the voice of those who will lead you to eternal life. Mm. Because human beings do dumb things. And some of them will lead us to life. But some of them will lead us to themselves Mm. and put themselves above and in high places. And that always leads to death. Mm. But, you know, the scriptures are saying God knows that. He's aware. This has always been the case from the time of the Proverbs through the time of Jesus through now. This has always been the way. And what the scriptures are also saying to us is that it's okay. God knows. He's got this. It's under control. It's not, you know, we, we, I tend, I'll just say it me. I tend to operate in crisis mode all the time. Like, what are we going to do? This thing is exploding. What do we do? Does God not see this? You know, like, like God's surprised by it. Like, oh my gosh, I just read the grand jury report. No, he knows he's aware. He's patient. He knows the evil will come out. He knows the great good will come out as well. And if we follow him, he will bring good out of what seems like un, unfathomable evil. Right. How do we make sense of that? I don't know. David made some sense of it. David was able to say, I'll praise the Lord always. Well, I mean, you, you say patience. And patience is, is suffering. Yeah. I mean, to be a patient is to, in a doctor's office is to be one who suffers. That's true. And to have patience. What does the patience of God ultimately look like? It looks, it's, the, it's cruciform. Yeah. It's, it's God actually saying, I, I, have, I will take this to myself entirely. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that when I look at the cross, I say he has taken this. He knows he understands and he bears it. Which is what no one expected when they were reading Proverbs, is that when wisdom dresses her meat or prepares her sacrifice, nobody understood that the sacrifice was going to be wisdom itself. Right. Wisdom would become flesh and be sacrificed so that we can eat. And then to suffer, to rise again. To rise again. And then to initiate us into sharing that same cross. Yeah. And to actually being participants in walking in in the world with hope Mm. and knowing that 
uh, that sin and death is not the victory, uh, that it that it will be defeated and is defeated in him. Yeah. So, oh, baby. Yeah, it's heavy duty, baby. It is heavy duty. Yep. It's like the readings know. It's like the church has the Holy Spirit guiding, right? I mean, the, yeah. yep. you can find, that's the thing. I mean, we could read this, you know, three different years in a row, and there'll be three different contexts in which all of these readings seem to fit perfectly. Right. Because that's how the scriptures work, and they will speak into our lives in different circumstances. But it's kind of fascinating just seeing how well these kind of fit with what's happening today. Yeah. So, God bless Keep the you. faith. Yeah. God bless you. Follow wisdom. Seek Hulkama. Pray for it. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org. And you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.